0: Obviously that's the most important part of what we do is being able to see these kids come to faith in Christ and beyond that to come back especially for those who don't go to church somewhere who may have sent their children to our VBS for that one period of time our prayer is that they continue to come back they see the light come on they recognize what they're missing and what they could have as a family so not only pray for this week thank you for doing that we had an incredible week the heat didn't come till yesterday which was even better but thank you for doing that, but pray that these families will continue to come back. We invite them, and, uh, and on the way out, I keep saying, hey, open every Sunday, open every Sunday, open every Sunday. So pray they come back. Looking at the faith and the life and the energy is mind-numbing just to watch it take place. See the offering wherever they come, the way they bring it in. The greatest blessing of that is the refugee children from Syria and some of the places in the Middle East. I can't even say where this school is because I don't want to jeopardize those that are ministering there in that context. But uh, to be able to know what we're doing and what we've done will make an eternal difference in the lives of those students and children from so many displaced environments it will be incredible. If you still want to give, you can do that. The last night, $603 short, and then right before Connie dismissed, said, hey, here's a check for $603. So they made it and were able to reach their goal. appreciate Connie and her team and uh, everybody who was involved in an incredible week. It's fascinating when you leave, and I'm trying to thank everybody who's involved. I had two or three of the teachers say thank you for allowing us to do it. Well, who does that? <laughs> so uh, it was a great week and incredible opportunity. Today we're going to talk about weddings and wedding feast, Weddings and wedding feast. Now you've got to remember what I do most often for a living. Most of my 40-plus years... I'm dealing with sin, sickness, and sadness. Really? Most of my 40-plus years, I'm dealing with sin, sickness, and sadness. So when I get the opportunity to do a baby dedication, to see a little one come running in my arms, to be able to be involved with these kids' lives all week long, to be able to do a wedding, it's an incredible delight to do that. By the way, if you know you're checking out of this life early and you're not prepared, one of the local places has something just for you (laughs) that's true i drove by it couldn't believe it had somebody take a picture and send it to me so if indeed you're not prepared and you're checking out earlier than you thought there you go call that number and they'd be able to help you out a couple of weeks ago i was talking to a mom actually two moms of weddings that i have done off-site 75 to 80 percent of the weddings that i do here are done off-site off-campus a lot of places around to be able to do that, some breathtaking places. But they said, why aren't there more weddings here? And I asked the same question, and they said, well, we really can't picture what it's like to have a wedding at CAC, this large stage auditorium that seats 850 people. My dad won't let me invite that many, you know, on and on the list goes. So what do we do? So I, I, all of a sudden I realized, hey, next Sunday, which was a couple of weeks ago, we're doing a service on marriage and weddings and wedding feasts. So what I want you to do is just watch the screen every once in a while. And these are weddings that we've done here. I asked five brides, can I show some of your pictures to show people what's been done on this stage and how incredible you can make it look. One up there, they had tool on there. The only tool I knew was craftsman. So I didn't even know what tool was. Yeah, for some of you are going, I don't even still know what that is. When I, I don't even know what some of them are, but you can do some incredible things here. There are a number of favorite parts of everybody's wedding, I'm sure. My favorite part, obviously, is the bride, being able to see her ahead of time before the groom, being able to know that I've seen her, and then I set the stage for that. So I say to the groom, who's somewhere back there, locked away somewhere, you are going to be blown away. She's gorgeous. She's breathtaking, and I get the opportunity to see her ahead of time. Now, the other thing that most people look for is trying to see whether or not the kids are going to come down the aisle. Every time you have a a child in a wedding, I've seen parents pay off more than anybody's mortgage to get a child to come down the aisle to do their wedding. Being able to see that bride and then to see that groom's face light up like a Christmas tree when she comes down the aisle. Now, in some cases, they've known each other for six months, ten months, two years, three years, four years. Anything beyond four years, I'm going, dude, what are you waiting for? Right? But any time they had that opportunity, they've seen them for a long period of time, and but there's something incredible about that moment when that door or wherever they are opens up and that bride comes down the aisle, and these guys light up. They cry, they weep, tears stream down their face. Some of them can't say a word. I've seen a couple of them almost faint. And they know who's coming down the aisle. It's not like it's a surprise. That's who I'm marrying? I didn't know that. I didn't know that was her. It's not like the old days when you arranged the weddings. I had two friends years ago where I grew up arranged for brides to come over from Italy. They're standing at the airport. That was the days when you could actually stand at the tarmac, Pittsburgh airport. They looked at each other and said, you get the first one, I get the second one. That's how they decided how they're going to spend the rest of their life with them. And from what I remember, they spent the rest of their life with those chosen ones. But when that one comes down the aisle, he knows who she is. And yet seeing that face and seeing that bride come down that aisle is incredible. And then there is the celebration. Every father loves paying for the wedding feast. (laughs) Right? I've gone to some of these guys afterwards and I find out, They're in intensive care in the hospital because they received a bill from what it was like. And they, again, can't invite everybody, but that wedding feast is spectacular. It's an opportunity to celebrate families, an opportunity to celebrate love, bringing two people together, bringing two lives together, bringing two families together. And every bride and every groom who says, I'm not marrying the family, you're out of your mind. You are marrying the family. So don't think you're not. You need to know that clearly going into it. And then you come to that celebration, and it's incredible. Dads get up, and they thank everybody for coming. People from all walks of life, from every influence of life, they've watched this little girl and that little boy grow up. From that young man to that young woman to that bride and a groom, and now a husband and wife, it's an incredible celebration. I'm now at this stage in my life where I'm marrying gals that I dedicated as babies. The only next step before I retire or get senile, which could happen anytime, not the retirement, the senile part, is, how do I say, dedicating a baby of a girl that I dedicated who I then de- married, and now I'm dedicating their children. You get all that flow? That's the next major step. That wedding celebration in many cultures is incredible. Some of them wait forever. They save forever. they Waiting for this moment when they gather all their family and friends together and celebrate the wedding feast. Pales in comparison to Revelation 19. You and I are invited to the wedding feast of all time. Now, whether you accept the invitation, as I said last Sunday morning, is up to you. You are invited. When both of my daughters got married, I'd been involved that time in four churches, counting this one. Who do you invite to the wedding? You know you're going to leave somebody out. You know you're going to frustrate somebody. You know you wish they could come. In this wedding feast celebrated here in Revelation 19, we're all invited. Every one of you are invited to the wedding celebration. What you have to decide, as I said last Sunday morning, will you accept that invitation? From Revelation 14 to the beginning of chapter 19 is the outpouring of God's wrath. There comes a point in all of human history where God says, enough is enough. I've extended more grace than anyone could imagine. I've given you 2,000 years to decide, what are you going to do with this gift called life? What are you going to do with my son? Will you accept him as your savior? Peter describes that scene over and over again. But there will come a point in human history when evil will be so high, so bad, so deplorable, where God will say, enough. He already did it once. In flooding the world, he's going to do it again. And the description of that in 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19 that obviously have bypassed is over, almost over the top in regards to the destruction of humanity. Who have had all kinds of opportunities to accept the invitation of the king and who rejected it. For those who accepted it, we come to Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard, now this is John the author, if you've not been here before. Today, we're finishing the series for a while. I'll pick back up on it. I'm taking a hiatus sabbatical for the next six weeks. I'll come back and finish just three chapters that you can't leave out. John is sitting on the Isle of Patmos, not knowing what's going to happen to the end of his life. He's been given a glimpse that no one has ever seen before. He's trying to describe things that no one has ever seen, that he has no idea what it's going to look like. All he's got is the vocabulary that he has And he sees pictures and images that have blown his mind, and he's trying to put it in descriptive words. He's also, in this context, trying to put it in a two-dimensional form, black and white, written words. He's seeing it, most likely, in a three-dimensional form. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given for her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous act of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And then he added, These words are the true words of God. This particular event is an event that believers have looked forward to For over two millennia. When Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples. He shared with them an incredible moment. He said I've been looking forward to this moment for a long period of time. I wanted to be able to share with you a meal. Now he'd been telling them that he's going to the cross. He's going to die on a cross. Raised from the dead. Come back to life. Offer freedom. He's been describing it for three years. Yet they have not seen it. No one has ever seen anything that he's quite described. So he gets them together in a supper room experience, planning it for an extended period of time, and he shares with them what you and I have shared as the last supper for years. He said, I've looked forward to this moment for a long period of time. And he said, I won't do it again until, and he describes in just a sentence or a half a sentence, Revelation 19, until that day. So for 2,000 years, Jesus has been looking forward To an event when his bride, you and I who have accepted Christ as Savior, gets to be united with the groom and we celebrate a wedding feast. And every time we come to this table and hold these elements and we talk about what he did for us, they're just small reminders of what the future holds. The wedding feast is the celebration of a promise made, the celebration of a commitment that is made between two people. The bride and the groom make a promise to one another, a commitment to be faithful to one another exclusively. Now for us in our culture, it's verbally stated at the wedding ceremony. They've already made the commitment to one another. They've exchanged the ring. They've given an engagement ring. They've picked the day. They've invited everybody to the day. And then they stand before a pastor, and he hears him ask, are you going to stay together for the rest of your life? Do you promise in front of everybody that you will stay committed to one another for the rest of your life? Not a one of them in the 230 weddings that I've done have said, "Can we get back to you next week?" You really that's that's what you're asking us? Are we going to stay committed to one another? And the answer of course is absolutely. We're going to stay together. We're going to stay committed to one another. For us, that commitment is stated on that day. In Jesus' day, it was made during the engagement process. Engagement for us is not always binding. In most cases, it is. But it's not always binding. It's painful to break it off before the wedding, but it certainly does happen. In Jesus' day, it was much more binding. Remember the Christmas story of Mary and Joseph? When Joseph found out that Mary was with child and they were only engaged, it said he was going to give her a bill of divorcement. Let me read the context this is how the birth of jesus came about his mother mary was pledged engaged to be married to joseph but before they came together before they were physically together as well as in the marriage ceremony she was found to be with child through the holy spirit because joseph her husband was a righteous man and notice he's called husband didn't want to expose her to public disgrace he hadn't mind to divorce her quietly but after he considered this the angel of the lord appeared to him in a dream said joseph son of david don't be afraid to take mary home to be your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. When you make a commitment to Mary then, it was a binding commitment. Now, once you make a commitment to someone, what do you do? Stay committed, right? Now, some brides can certainly say, well, we're not married yet, so I've still got some wild oats to sow. i still got some things I want to do. Some guys that haven't been with yet. I, I know I'm going to be married to you for the rest of my life, but there are still some other guys that I thought were kind of cute. Who does that? No one does, right? A bride like that really doesn't understand what true commitment really is. Now, another posture of the bride could be to take everything she can do, make sure everything she does is keeping herself pure and making herself ready for that wedding day and for that lifelong commitment that follows. Revelation 19, let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Now on this side of Revelation 19, until it's fulfilled, we're in preparation for that event. That day, that celebration. A commitment to Jesus only and a commitment to keep ourselves pure. Hopefully looking forward to that day. There should be an excitement about that day, an anticipation of seeing the groom. Like every bride who's waiting for that moment to come down an aisle somewhere to be able to see her groom and to see whether or not his face lights up, there should be something inside of us when we know that we are the bride of Christ, we've accepted Jesus as our Savior, and there's going to come a day when we finally get to see the groom. 1 Peter, I love the phrase, though you have not seen him, you love him, describing Jesus and their relationship with him. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and you're filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. In biblical days and even in many cultures around the, around the world, grooms could and would and can purchase a bride. My daughter had the opportunity during some of her time at Naya College to spend a semester in Jerusalem University in, obviously, Jerusalem. Because we knew it would be something she would have so many memories to share, God, Connie and I were blessed to be able to spend about a week and a half with her over there. So when she came home and told us about all the incredible things in all of Israel and Jordan, some of the places she got to go to, we could be able to know what that was like. And so we went and shared it. One day, Aaron and I went to the old city of, New Jer- of, of old Jerusalem, walking by, and I'm, I'm trying to buy some things to take home and, and all of that. And we walked by one shop. This guy came out and said, how many camels do you want for your daughter? I said, what? He said, how many camels do you want for your daughter? I wanted to say, how many you have? No, I didn't. <laughs> how much is a camel worth? How am I going to get home on a plane? You know, all those things running through your head. I said, she's not for sale. I'll give you three camels. I said, she's not for purchase. I'll give you a 100 camels. She's not for purchase. I'll give you a 1,000 camels. Now, at this point, I am doing the math. No, I'm not. No. <laughs> I'll give you a 1,000 camels for your daughter. I'm going, she is not for you to purchase. You've heard the term dowry. One definition is the price a groom is willing to pay the father of the bride for the bride. And dads still today say, I like that idea. Jesus purchased us as well, but his purchase price cost him everything. Jesus, the ultimate groom, purchased us, his bride, but the purchase price in his case cost him Wednesday, you're going to celebrate Fourth of July. And it's an odd one when it lands in the middle of the week because you never know which weekend. So I I did as much as I could with the red, white, and blue today and and, and all of that. So it's kind of an odd to, to know when. But you and I both know that when we celebrate the freedom that we enjoy on Wednesday, that freedom was never really free. It cost the life of a lot of young men and women down through the ages. When I celebrate Wednesday down at the farm with my family, Judy, my one of my favorite cousins is going to be reminded again that her son Ryan didn't come back alive from Iraq. And a lot of families recognize that. All over our audience is men and women and families who have saved, served, and given the ultimate price for the freedom that we so richly enjoy. And it's way more than a celebration with fireworks, a hamburger, and a hot dog. It costs them everything. I did something in the first service real quick, and it helps me Veterans Day this year is on Sunday, and I'm sure I'm, I'm going to get all kinds of ideas, but it's on a Sunday this year. I want to do something a little bit different. Would you do me a favor, though, if you're a veteran in here this morning, you've served in any way, would you stand real quick just so we know how many? I'm doing something. And All right. Anybody over here? All right. Thank you. Thank you for your service. To our nation for your willingness to sacrifice everything for the freedom that we so richly enjoy. The price that Jesus paid was everything. The God of the universe said, look, I love that bride so much. I'll give everything. I'll give my one and only son to purchase her from the enemy, Satan. When Adam was given his bride, God formed her out of his side in wedding ceremonies. I read a piece that I first heard in the wedding that Connie and I shared together 45 years ago this Friday. The woman was not made from his head to top him, nor under his feet to be trampled upon by him, but from his side to be equal with him, under his arms to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. A praise is hundreds of years old, from what I understand, but it's so significant in regards to the relationship between the man and the woman, the husband and the wife, and what God did when Jesus died on a cross. To make sure that he was dead, they pierced his side and flowed from that blood and water. Fascinating significance coming from the side. Jesus paid the ultimate price for his bride, and he's coming back to claim her. When he was put on a cross, the, the nails went into his hands, and they hung him this way, and his feet were crossed over, and a nail driven through both feet. And just to make sure that he suffered enough, just to make sure that he was dead, They pierced his side, and from that, water and blood flowed. The ultimate price that the groom paid for his bride. He's coming back someday to claim her. When I come together, thank you. When I come together for a funeral service, I often, on most occasions, read from John 14. That very familiar section of Scripture when Jesus said, Look, I, I know you're worried, I know you're uncertain about the future, But I am certain about the future. I'm going away. I'm going to leave you. I'm going home, going back to heaven. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Depending on what translation, depending on what song you like to sing, it's a mansion or a room. We've been singing, I've got a mansion over the hilltop forever. NIV translates it, probably more accurate, and a room. We're a little bit disappointed with that. I'd rather have a mansion than a townhouse, but whatever you got, that's what you're going to get. He's got prepared for you, and he's been spending 2,000 years and he said, I- I'm telling you right now, I am coming back for you. And I'm going to take you with me. And we're going to forever celebrate everything that I planned, everything that I've done, everything that I sacrificed. We are going to celebrate. I'm coming back to get you. But I'm leaving for now. Thomas said, Lord, we have no idea where you're going. How can we know the way? And then the classic answer of Jesus. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one gets there but through him. So until we meet the bride, or until we meet the groom, Jesus, of course, face to face, what kind of bride-to-be would you want to be? Until we meet the groom, Jesus, face to face, what kind of bride-to-be would you want to be? Well, what kind of bride-to-be would you want? Now, I know we've got male and female in here, but to try to put yourself in a groom context, even though you're not a groom. What kind of bride-to-be would you want? One who messed around with everyone who was uncertain about commitment? Or one who was absolutely committed to that relationship and kept pure? What kind of bride-to-be would you want? Now, I know the answer to the question. You know the answer to the question. I would want one who's sure. I would want a bride who's sure. Who I know not only makes a commitment to me, but will keep that commitment to me. Who's not just marrying me till the next one comes along, or the best one comes along, or a better one comes along. Who's committed to me and me alone. I wouldn't want a bride that really isn't sure about that commitment. Right? If I were to have up on the stage this morning a bridal gown, I tried, but it obviously didn't work out, but if I were to have a bridal gown up on this stage, and it were stained all over the place, and I were to say to you who I know are getting married this year and next year, hey, this can be yours. Would you take it home and wear it? Most wouldn't. You'll pay $100, $1,000, $4,000 for all I know for a wedding dress that's pure, that's white, that's not stained all over, right? When Jesus says, you are my bride, and you committed your life to me, you accepted me as Savior, what does that commitment look like to you? Well, I accepted Him once in Bible school. I accepted Him as a Savior at some point or the other. But until I see Him face to face, there's a lot of things I want to do. And I get tempted every one, once in a while, and I submit to that, and I give in to that. And I come back and ask Him to forgive me. And, and I know He said He would. He tells me that in 1 John 1, 9. He's going to forgive me. And, and so I, 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 I try, but boy, there's just so much out there, so many things I want to do, and and I'm committed to Jesus, uh, pretty much. Nobody would want that. But that's what, sadly, sometimes the bride does. Now, there are two sides to that image that I just painted for you. One is, if you are a bride, and you know you're going to be married to the groom, hopefully you want to stay pure until that moment, until that Incredible day. There are others that sit in an audience like this who hear this story and said, "Look, dude, I'm stained, and he wouldn't want me." I've had so many things happen in my life, I, my and they'll list it. I, I know it. I've been doing it for forty plus years, and and they'll tell me stories, and they'll they'll know their stains. They'll they'll know they're stained. And they'll believe that the groom, who is Jesus, wouldn't even want them. And I'm here to tell you, because of what we do this morning, and if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, or you accept Jesus as your Savior, I'm here to remind you again, He washes all of those stains away. So you think you're not worthy, you think He'll never match up, you'll think you'll never be what he accepted because of your past, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, he wipes that past clean. I mean, I'm talking pure as driven snow. It's incredible. Washed clean with the blood of the cross. Never to remind you again, ever. You don't need to remind yourself of that because he doesn't. So the two sides to the whole issue. If you've committed your life to Christ, you are the bride of Christ. What kind of bride do you want to be until you meet Him? And if you're sitting here this morning and you'd love to be a member of the bride of Christ, but you think you've got too much junk and He'd never accept you, I'm here to offer you the greatest gift outside of uh, I'm to offer the greatest gift of all is salvation in Christ, and it gets washed away clean, never to be reminded again. You and I are invited to the table by the lover of our souls. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding of the Lamb. When Jesus was in the upper room, he shared with his disciples an incredible context. And then he said this, every time you do it, every time you share communion, would you remember me? Every time you're tempted, you know you've committed your life to Christ, but you're tempted to do this or go that way or succumb to this or give in to that. Every time you're tempted, remember me. Remember the commitment we've made to one another. Remember me. You've made a commitment to me. I've made a commitment to you. I pay the ultimate price, and I desire nothing more than to have a deep, intimate relationship with you. When my wife and I were in Israel, we each got rings, and in it in Hebrew, and she put mine in a dryer way too long, and it shrunk, and so I can't wear it. (laughs) Oh, that's my jeans. Um... And so I can't, but she still wears it. And in Hebrew is written, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. It's from John, and it's obviously a reminder of this context here. And 45 years ago on July 6th, when we committed ourselves to one another, we committed ourselves to one another exclusively. This is a great reminder when when we look at it, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine, but I don't need a ring to remind me of that. I made a commitment. She made a commitment, and I'm certain of it until we see Jesus face to face. You and I celebrate this morning when we know Christ is our Savior, a commitment we've made to the groom. And it's an opportunity for you and I to remember again that we are the bride of Christ. The enemy will do everything he possibly can to get us to break that commitment. But you and I are the bride of Christ. And I want to stay committed to Him, exclusively to Him, until I see that groom face to face. And so this morning, we hold these elements in our hand. Simple reminders of the body and blood of Christ. And every time he said you do it, remember me. Remember the price I paid? I just want you to know how much I love you. I want you to know that I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to celebrate this meal again at the wedding feast of the Lamb. I cannot wait to see you. And there will come a day when I'll come back. I'll take you home. And we will forever celebrate. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. Thank you for gifts that you have given us and this vivid reminder. It couldn't be more vivid than this bread that reminds us of your body and this cup that reminds us of your shed blood so that we can have life for all eternity. So in the meantime until we see you and we sit around that huge table with hundreds of thousands of down through the ages, our part of the Bride of Christ. We look forward to that day when we'll see our groom and we'll be forever with the Lord. In the meantime, remind us of our commitment to you, yours to us, the fact that you washed us clean and we don't have to look at our past any longer. And until that day when we see you, we'll forever remember you. In your name we pray. I want to ask the communion stores to come They're going to serve you. What you'll notice in here is a cup and a tray if you're visiting us today. It's all in the same. Take a little of each, one of each, and help your neighbor beside you. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you can do it today. The only requirement here is that you know Christ as your Savior. Confess your sins. You've invited Him into your life, and you've committed yourself to Him. And you are free to take. Would you all then hold them, and I'll come back and lead us in taking them at the end. Jesus couldn't have found two more simple elements. Every single meal they ever ate had these two elements, especially in that culture. But the meaning is incredible. Forever changed once he shared with his disciples. There's going to come a day when he himself serves us. Until that day... Father, I thank you again for your grace and love, for this family that I love. We pray that you will continue to walk with us in our journey with you until we see you face to face. We look forward to that incredible reunion, that unbelievable marriage celebration. Until then, keep our eyes on you as we follow after you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to be on sabbatical for the next six weeks. You do not want to miss the series coming up between Joe and Keith and Bob, Selfless Living in a Selfie World. And then I'll be back, share with you again this meal in a few weeks. God bless you. We'll see you soon. Have a great time.